Focal Point, Episode 8, in which we have battled long and hard against scheduling, illness, holidays, and just about everything else you can think of, but we are back. All right, and we are back here again with Aaron DeGruccio, and we are going to be going on, continuing the topic from the last episode, going on ethics. Uh, But before we really dive back into that, we did have a few things we wanted to talk about beforehand, because the new year is coming up, and there are plans. Chelsea has been working overtime getting uh, next year's 52-week challenge and the photo class set up, and it it is coming along really great. So, Chelsea, if you want to go ahead and talk about some of the stuff you've got going on with that. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely working overtime, but no time and a half pay, unfortunately. What's the opposite of that? Because that's what it is. Um, But yes, there is a lot happening. Um, I've been very busy. Um, Sean, who is our other teacher for the class, has also been very busy with this. And David's been helping out with 52 weeks stuff. So it's actually really nice. I have to say this is a side note. It's always been me by myself doing this every year. And this year I have support uh, that I haven't had in previous years. So I, I really appreciate everyone that has been supportive of these projects. Um, that said, there's a lot happening. Let's start with the 52 weeks because that's the, you know, that's that's my end game. Um, 52 weeks is going into its sixth year. Um, and that, that's how I met both of you guys actually is through the 52 weeks challenge. So it's very, very important to me. It's something that I really like put a lot of time and effort into. And one thing that I always kind of talked about was having a companion learning journal to go along with it and finally managed to do that. So for those of you who are partaking in the 52 weeks challenge, uh, it looks the same as it did last year, wherein instead of each week has an assigned um, prompt, each month has an overarching theme. And then there are four prompts within that month that you can do at any time that is convenient for you in any order within that month. Um, So it's a little bit more free flowing than years previous. Um, We piloted it last year and all the feedback I got was that it was a great change. So we're going all in on that. I like the new structure. We're sticking with it next year. And now you can go ahead and download a PDF of a uh, learning journal that you use with you. The cool thing about the learning journal for the 52 weeks challenge is that it is not dated. It's just by the month. It's not specific to 2024, really. So let's say that you're joining us in May. You can pick up in May and fill in May, June, July until the end of the year and then continue um, back at January in 2025 if you want. The journal is not like only for 2024 is what I'm trying to say. You can also, if you like, you can purchase a paperback version of it. I don't actually make money on that, but they look really nice. So if you're a person who likes to use your hands as opposed to looking at a screen, um, you can go ahead and buy one of those. Uh, The link is on the website in the announcement post for 2024. 
Now, the big one, uh, the photo class. So, the photo class. Um, have either of you done the Reddit photo class in previous years? I never actually did. I had looked into it at one point, but I had already been doing photography for a while by then. Yeah. And it seemed like some of the stuff was fairly basic and everything right. was already posted. And so I just like, well, I'll look through the stuff, but I don't just necessarily see the point of actually going through the class. And I just kind of left it at that. Mm -hmm. um, but there have also been some changes with the way that is going, yes. it looks like. Yes, lots and lots, actually. Um, so a brief history of the class. Um, Alex Buisa wrote it in, oh God, 13 years ago, 14 years ago. It's um, been a while. For Reddit, yep, and posted it on Reddit once a week, new post, new exercise. Um, and then Pieter took it over, and he did it for about 10 years, um, maybe exactly 10 years. And he, like anybody, would get, you know, after doing something for 10 years, you're ready to kind of see it move on. Um, so I asked if if I could take it over, um, and myself and Sean, who is the other moderator of our photography have taken it and we've done quite a bit of work to it there it's in its spirit it is the same class so far as it is free and it's always going to be re remain free that's part of the beauty of it is something that we had to promise alex would be true as well um and then um but aside from that like some of the material in there is organized in the same way as it's original creation because um, we did build it off of the original syllabus uh, that Alex wrote, but we made quite a few changes. Uh, one of the things that Sean and I thought was uh, a room for opportunity in it was we wanted to see more of the art and the art history. We wanted to see more of the intention, uh, thinking intentionally and that kind of thing, the stuff that like I really champion um, and Sean agrees with. So it has the technical stuff, which um, is important. And it is built in a way where beginners can come in. And literally the first lesson is what is a camera? Um, <laughs> that is not to say that you should be feeling like you won't get anything out of it if you're more advanced photographer. You still probably get something out of it because the assignments um, allow you to kind of do what you want with the assignment. So you could be a really advanced photographer and still get something out of like a shutter speed assignment, right? You just have to kind of pay attention to what it is that you need to focus on in that. Um, and yeah, then, it seems like for some of the more advanced stuff, there's more self-guided aspects to it yeah. that allows people from pretty much any skill level to jump in and still have some fun and get something out of it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the first few weeks might be like, well, what the hell? Like, I, I know what the exposure triangle is, and that's fair. Um, but, you know, sometimes I'm a big believer in education. Um, I'm finishing up a degree in education, actually, like next month. And so it's something that I think, you know, having formalized versions of education, even if it's something that you feel like you have a good handle on, there's no, like, inherent downside to doing something like that. Um, the other big changes. Uh, so it's still on Reddit. Obviously we're going to post it there. Like always people will comment and do their submissions. We still have the same mentor system. We have a great, oh man, 
I'm so excited about our selection of mentors this year. We got some incredible, incredible people, both photographers and incredible teachers and honestly just great people. Uh, so the mentors are incredible. I'm really excited. Um, so those things are, remain unchanged. We have added the aspect of the Discord. So that's a great way. I think the benefit of the Discord is the ongoing live chat that you can have back and forth. It kind of does foster communication and community a little bit better than the static nature of Reddit. Yeah, that's the jumping over to Discord, I think, is going to be one of the biggest advantages is because yeah. it really is more of a community instead of just making a post and leaving Hoping it out there. Comments. There's a lot more yeah. direct interaction. Exactly. So I'm excited about that. And it seems so far because we put up a getting started um, chapter unit. And so far, the response has been great. And there's a lot of people already submitting photos and things. It's, it's awesome to see. Um, another big change is that, so we have the class, it's going to be on Reddit, it's going to be on Discord, like we're posting the, the lessons there. But on the focalpointhub.com, the new website, plug, plug, uh, there's actually <laughs> a actual version of the course on there. So you go through, you see the units, it has the videos, if there's videos for that unit, it has links, it has the actual text body, everything, and you go through it, you complete it, you get a little, you know, it, it fills up as you go. A progress bar tells you what percentage of the course you've completed. Um, so I'm really excited about this. I think this is a great way to consume the information and to remain like accountable on it for yourself. Um, and it's a good place to just makes it easy to see everything all together as opposed to like having to in discord scroll through and find the lesson you're looking for or on Reddit, try to find the right post for the right lesson. This is the best way to kind of keep everything consolidated. And then finally, in addition to that, just like in the 52 weeks, I've created a learning journal for this. This learning journal is a little bit more um, like personalized for the class. So every lesson has its own set of prompts for you to kind of like, you know, reflect on your knowledge, reflect on what you learned, reflect on what you still want to learn more about, um, places to put the photo that you made, photos you're happy about, places for notes you can scribble all over it. I tried to keep it really kind of stripped down. It, I think it looks quite nice, but it's still pretty just black and white. So you can kind of do whatever you want with it was the thought process. You can scribble all over it, write all over it. You could be type A and keep everything neat and tidy. It really kind of allows for either of that. And just like with the 52 weeks one, there's a free PDF download of it, or you can buy a paper co paperback copy of it. Same thing. So I'm really excited about this, um, not just because I'm exhausted and <laughs> have been not sleeping <laughs> to get everything done, um, but I'm really excited. I think that it's going to be really useful for everybody. So I look forward to seeing what people do with the class and with the 52 weeks this year. Yeah, it, it has opinion. been a huge undertaking. And I mean, we can probably make an episode just about that at the beginning of the year, just a big introduction to mm -hmm. all the changes and everything. Yeah. But I am absolutely looking forward to seeing all that happen. Yeah, you Have you guys had a chance to look at it? 
Oh, yeah, you've talked this up really well. No, you're good. You're good. I uh, I don't have the uh, skill of knowing when to cut in, but no, dude, this looks fantastic. <laughs> it's clean Thank and you. it's super concise. I remember doing the 52 weeks challenge uh, in 2021 when I felt like I kind of needed a creative boost and it got me back into the habit of thinking about images, uh, not just when, you know, a burst of inspiration comes because those are fleeting and not reliable it fostered a sense of discipline, which is kind of the underlying, like, continuous forward march of doing the task about keeping focused on the job at hand and not just kind of a when I feel like it. So the structure here really helps. And 2021 was perfect to begin this for me anyway, because that was um, it was kind of a dead spot. The world stopped for most of us at that point, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and while a lot of things were remaining idle or uncertain, it gave an underlying sense of um, of certainty. I would always know I'd have a goal to pursue, a personal goal, not just something that I was obligated to do, but something that I chose to create uh, a sense of discipline around. And uh, as I mentioned in kind of our off-the-record preamble, I've definitely hit a bit of a dead spot with some uh, life changes that have caused me to put uh, personal photography on a bit of a back burner. So I am very attracted myself to the idea of pursuing this for uh, 2024 uh, with the intention Yay. of, you know, 52 weeks is a long time to try to form a new habit or reform uh, or improve an old one. So you have sold me of all people nice. on this. So you, <laughs> you've got, you've got a, whatever right. your enrollment is for this year, you've got a plus one. Excellent. I'll take it. I should, uh, I forgot one more change that I want to say for about the photo class specifically. So before the photo class just went week, 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 week until it ended. Um, we decided that from my experience with the 52 weeks challenge is that the summer in the Northern hemisphere tends to be a bit of a, a dead spot for motivation and for getting things done in like a certain time frame, which is all completely understandable. People take vacations and so forth. Um, so what we decided to do this year instead is we have a summer break, if you will. And um, in that summer break, I keep saying summer break, but I know there's like Australians and like Argentinians. Their winter break. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> their winter time. Um, so the the semester break, I'll call it. Um, that time there is there so that you can get caught up on any assignments that you're behind on, get caught up on the lessons. And also there will be, um, little exercises given to kind of keep you going. You'll just have like a list of some exercises that you can do at your own speed. Um, and then the big change, I can't believe I forgot even to say this. The big change is that we're ending with like a final project. So as opposed to it just being individual lessons, every lesson is building upon the one prior with the ultimate goal to have a personal project completed by December 31st, 2024. So I think of it as like a final, you know, a final for class, but obviously no one's grading it. <laughs> You'll get constructive feedback and such from your mentors, but um, it's not like a graded assignment where you're we we don't have we're not accredited so yeah. we're we're not getting paid so we can't really <laughs> <laughs> can't can't transfer that in but it will look cool when you're done so and the personal project is really up to you if you decide you want to make a portfolio if you you know if you want a um, a triptych whatever it is 
that's part it's built into the class. It seems a little open ended, but it's so that it can be more tailored to the individual. Yeah, we wanted to make sure I think a lot of the feedback that we received, we we reached out to people who had done the, the class in years prior and asked them, like, you know, what changes would you want to see? And a lot of it was a lack of motivation after X amount of weeks, which is normal. We've been you know, we fight that with the 52 weeks every year. And also just like the the idea of, well, I started doing it. And then like, you know, some of the stuff, the techie stuff I kind of already knew or I had no interest in and da, da, da. So we want it to be a little bit more open so that everyone can get something out of every single lesson, regardless of pre-knowledge or regardless of interest. It's like the techie stuff doesn't interest me so much, um, but a person like me would be able to do the class and still enjoy that that unit. Okay, that's all I've got and to like say the, about yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love the idea that the entire... Um, you know, the overarching theme of focal point between the photo class and 52 weeks is personal growth and creating a personal project. This is about yeah. your vision and the capabilities you have with your tool to turn that vision mm -hmm. into something visual and tangible. And you've completely separated that from any commercial endeavor with photography. And that's right, really yeah. refreshing to see online, especially with something uh, at this high a level of polish and community engagement, because every discuss well, Plenty of discussions on Reddit turn toward, okay, I just got a camera. People are telling me I'm mm -hmm. okay. How do I make money with this? And that's kind of a tired conversation, yeah. largely because yeah. I don't know how to answer it because I'm still working on that myself. <laughs> <laughs> so focusing I mean, on, is, yeah. yeah, I mean, the growth as a human being or just, you know, as a yeah. person or someone with a story to tell or an artistic vision, uh, sharpening that as a skill, as a tangible skill is, mm -hmm. is so much more important long run because... I don't know, man, commercial work is just so fleeting. So, hey, you know, how do I make money within the next year? I'll tell you when I get to that year. It's uh, might be year yeah. 19 for me might be the year. So, yeah, yeah. it's, it's mean, like, I, how do you make money? It's you, you take a business class uh, and, and uh, this kind of helps separate that this, this isn't about the business side. This is about self-improvement in the photography side. And I think that's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that you guys appreciate that. Cause I think for me, one of my things that I will talk to the ends of the earth about, and we'll have to have another episode about it is this commodification of hobbies. Um, I think it's a major problem in our current setup, our current society. I don't want to get too Marxist on everyone. So we'll stop now. Can't lose too many <laughs> listeners. I don't know how many I have, but yes, I appreciate that. You guys appreciate that. Um, so with that in mind, <laughs> going Let's back get to, on to the losing, actual topic, <laughs> yeah, losing listeners because of political views. Let's move into ethics, shall we? <laughs> I think that's a pretty good uh, segue. Um, Hard so we switch. Have Let's nosedive into this. <laughs> Hard switch. Um, so, yeah, we have we have Aaron back um, because our last conversation about ethics in streets and in documentary and so forth was. Um, such a great conversation, I think, to be a part of, and we got some great feedback about it as well, but it's such a huge topic that even as we were having the conversation, we knew that we were going to have to part to it. So here we are. This is part two. Welcome back, Aaron. Hello, and thank you for having me again. <laughs> great. Um, so let's start with, let's just hard dive. Um, one of the comments that we got from the previous episode was 
I thought a really thoughtful question um, based on what we already talked about and the stuff that we still wanted to touch on. So if it's okay with you, I'd kind of want to just start with that question and then we can absolutely see where it takes us. Okay. So the question was, we talked a lot about um, not putting ourselves in a place where we're causing um, harm to the situation um, and being able to not take advantage of persons in distress or person, people with um, a vulnerable people, right? We, we touched on that. We didn't get super into it. So the question was, how do you differentiate between someone under distress versus trying to capture a moment that's emotional? Is it the idea of, quote, there's a story to be told here? Or the person certainly wouldn't be able to give that story on their own behalf. So how do we as photographers walk that line to decide this is a story that should be told by me? Or this is a moment where I should not be involved in this cap- in this capacity. What do you think on that, Aaron? That, that is such a good question. Um, it's it's a perfect question for the subject matter because it exposes the amount of nuance in this. There is no straight hard answer to this. It is completely case by case, and it's also broadly speaking. Um, Someone under distress versus trying to capture a moment that's emotional. These things often coexist. Someone under distress is, whether or not they intend to, they're expressing a lot of emotion outward. They're broadcasting a situation. Distress is very potent and very powerful. And we have this inherent sense of empathy that causes us to zero in on that and gravitate towards it. Um, And that's entirely subconscious. So what do we do with it as humans and as photographers? It is impossible to know ahead of time what the answer to this is and it's impossible to know what that person's situation is you know much like the question stated at the end here the person certainly wouldn't be able to give a story on their own behalf take in the moment don't be a photographer for a second put your camera down and just understand your role in the broader situation here look around look at your environment how are other people reacting what is this person putting out are they you know, on the street corner, uh, you know, scratching their head. Do they look worried, distressed? Are they frantically looking around? Do they look like they're trying to run from something? Do they look like they need help? Are they collapsed in a heap and crying on the sidewalk? These are all different and very potent situations. Lower the camera for a moment and just take in the moment as a human. We are people before we're photographers. Would making an image of the scene add to the overall narrative or detract from it? Is this a narrative that even needs to be told? There's no way to know that until we're there. Um, And I mean, I'm answering a question with a question here because it's, this is hard. There are situations wherein you just need to walk away or maybe approach the person to offer them help, forgetting about being a photographer for a moment. You know, this is going to sound... Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I mean, no, it's it's all I'm just following my bullet points here. But like, can making an image of the situation potentially benefit the subject? Is there a story that needs to be told in the broader sense of the scene you're experiencing? Is this person experiencing distress because of a very apparent overarching distress being placed on the scene? Is this person at a political protest 
and they're experiencing distress and the story of the protest or the treatment of people in this circumstance, does that need to be told? I've been in those situations before and I've photographed it with impunity because as discussed in uh, the previous episode on ethics, we always want to benefit a situation. We want to punch up. If someone is on the receiving end of a social injustice, I want to shine a light on that. If this person seems to be just existing in the context of day-to-day life and they're under personal distress, I don't want to expose that. I don't want to tell on them, uh, so to speak. What is their role in their environment? Does the environment need to be broadcast? Yeah, and I think that really brings in that it's kind of a balance between are you showing the person being in stress or in distress or are you showing the story of that distress. I think for me, at least that kind of plays a role. Are you just showing the fact that, Hey, here's a person and they're emotional, or are you capturing the story behind that and showing what is going on, why things are happening? And again, it's a balancing act. It's not always uh, that black and white. but being able to tell the story versus just showcasing a person and their emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say there is a place for that. I do a lot of like standard portraiture, but that is entirely a consensual thing. Cause I've got the person, they know they are getting photographed. They are there to be photographed and it's part of the discussion in bringing out those emotions But that is an entirely kind of different concept working in studio, the ethics going on with that besides like ethics in street or um, journalism. Yeah. I think the thing that you both said, maybe not directly, but you both said it was it's about the context. Like Aaron mentioned, you know, being at a political rally and somebody's in distress because they are being harmed by whatever it is that this rally is rallying against. And David talked about, you know, well, photographing, are you photographing the person's distress or what is causing the distress? So it is, I think the biggest thing you have to kind of be aware of is the context of the situation. Um, and that can be, I that can be tricky. You know, if you're just out walking around, enjoying the day, taking pictures, having a nice time, and you wander on to a, into a scenario where you do have to make this judgment call, that can be difficult to do. Um, and I know for me, the way that I kind of tackle those moments myself is I, it, it's so, you know, it's trite, but it's trite for a reason, is I consider what if that were me or what if that were my brother or my mom or whatever, you know, and you you think like, would I feel, would I, would I be put off by this moment ending up somewhere in a gallery on an Instagram, whatever, is that a moment that I want other people to be in seeing if it's a personal moment, if, you know, and, and you think about like, I, I, you know, I'm from New York. We've all cried on the subway. If there were pictures of me (laughs) crying on the subway, I would be so upset. Like, and I know that's, you know, that's me. Other people might not be bothered by it. But if I'm just sitting on the subway crying because I had like the worst day at work or whatever, 
I wouldn't want that to be on someone's Instagram. So where I'm visible and you know, it's me. There are ways to kind of, like David said, to be photographing the, the, the distress as opposed to the person in distress. Um, and that could be simple things like, you know, covering their face in some way, like, you know, if they're covering their face with their hands, maybe that helps the situation a little bit. Maybe your framing makes it so it's it's less about this wailing 20 something year old who just got yelled at by <laughs> uh, I'm not going to name names, but a, a really terrible celebrity uh, and they're crying on the subway. Um, <laughs> totally, totally, totally fabricated scenario, right? That was yeah, just out not, of the blue. <laughs> that's not real. No, none of this is real. Um, so. Yeah, so I think the the context is is the question that we have to ask ourselves. It is, and I think the question that was asked here that we're going on about because it was such a good question is that the idea of there's a story to be told here. If you're photographing an individual in distress, specifically an individual, and there's no greater context in the environment of the photograph showing that distress, is there a story to be told there? Well, you tell me. If you're taking this photograph of someone in distress and it has the potential on site to look like you're taking advantage of a victim, you better be able to tell me what that story is. Don't just show me this photograph and go, what do you think? Don't shock me with the content. Actually tell me why you were there. Give me an artist statement. I know we're photographers and we deal visually, but use your words too. I would challenge any photographer to back what they're showing me with words. A story is a dialogue. It's it's a multimedia experience. Photographs are amazing for a first impression and some do tell the whole story. But if it's, again, this is dicey. My words are even falling apart here. If it looks like someone might be a victim in their photograph or it might be interpreted that way, then they probably are. If there's a crying 20-year-old on the subway covering their face, that's a much Mm -hmm. different photograph than a disgraced politician being Mm perp-walked covering their face or someone walking (laughs) down the street who, I mean, who is covering their face for a very, you know, well-known reason. Uh, I have been at you know, protests or, you know, whether I've gone deliberately or literally stumbled onto them because downtown Seattle is a dynamic and weird place um, wherein I have tried to shine a light or use my camera to express the context of the situation. I've been to other political rallies wherein I photographed people crying out for some kind of societal change, gone home and deleted my whole card because this is a context where I don't want to ID anyone for their benefit. Or I've been told by people, hey man, you could be doxing all these people. They might be being looked for by whichever entity, by whomever, and people's safety and the importance of their story comes well, well before my desire to tell that. I might not be the guy to tell that story. The people on the street might be the ones telling that, and it might be in a way that doesn't involve a photographer. I think that kind of also can bring in some of the like causes of distress and the ethics around that. Like one of the big ones that gets kind of bashed on is like taking pictures of homeless people because so many times it's just getting a person, getting a portrait of that person and showing that they're in a bad spot, but nothing with the context around it. Um, like a lot of times calling it like poverty porn where it's you're taking a picture to highlight that this person has nothing that they're in a bad spot instead of using your abilities to show the greater context and tell the story of 
there's something wrong here because we've got like I I'm, I can't remember the exact picture. I'll see if I can find it. But it was like a picture of this homeless person and their back was turned. You couldn't see the face, but you could see that they kind of had their stuff around them. And then like across the street is this massive, I, I don't know if it was some sort of public building or like I said, it, it's been a while since I'm going to have to try to get back at this photo, but using the, the contrast between the homelessness and the absolute luxury just across the street and kind of that barrier. And there were, there was no way to tell who this person was. So it wasn't about the person. It was about the situation and showing that contrasted with just the general disparity. And so I wouldn't say that taking a picture of a homeless person in and of itself is always wrong, but it's that context of how you go about it. It's that, can you show a story? Is there a story to be told? Can I, can I just ask, um, just, I don't mean to like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be difficult or anything, but can I just ask, like, don't, don't you feel like that juxtaposition of homeless person in front of luxury building do you not feel like that's maybe been done to the point where I don't believe in if it's been done so much that you shouldn't do it as far as, you know, I talk about that a lot with like landscape shots and like travel shots and all that. Just this is yours. You do it. But I think when when it's supposed to be like. A deeper meaning. I don't know. I mean, for me, sometimes that comes off as like I'm 14 and this is deep as opposed to like being done. I guess it's the intention of it. Is it intentionally done because you are working on. I'm I'm struggling to say what I want to say because (laughs) I don't want to. You know, I'm all and, about and that's, like, I was just using that photograph stuff, but I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I was just using that as an example because it's know, like a yeah. very obvious. But that's the but that's the difference. example that we see, right? That's yeah. that, that's the one that we always see that like and and that's the argument that we always get back when you see that picture is, well, I'm trying to show the uh, the unfairness of the world. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's true. And, and you, you know, I want. Uh, So when I went to India, like one of the things that I really wanted to do was I wanted to come back with photos of India that were not photos of poverty porn, if we're going to use that phrase, and that showed the country the way it is and doesn't focus on the strictly those kinds of tropes, not because they don't exist there, but because my experience of that, if I were to go, if I wanted to get pictures of slums, I would have to be a tourist with a tour guide and a camera walking through a slum taking pictures. And I know that's not the same as walking down the streets of Seattle, Washington, New York, whatever, and like coming across a homeless person in front of a luxury building. I know it's not the same, but it it almost is. It almost is. It's it's you are not like in the situation. You're almost like a, a tourist of the situation. And and that's a little bit different than what Aaron was talking about with like being at political rallies. 
your part, even if you're not in favor of whatever is being rallied, you're there as part of an event, as a part of a happening, as opposed to people's situations. And, and I guess the intent comes in then as well. Like you take that picture and what are you doing? Like, let's be honest. I mean, most people who take that picture, put it on their Instagrams and are hoping, hoping for likes. And, and to me, not a fan, I have to say, like, I, again, I'm struggling because I don't want to discourage people from going out and, and doing photography. That's not my, my shtick. My shtick is the opposite of that. But I think, you know, ethically and morally, my morals are at a point, a place where I can't bring myself to do or even to consume that kind of photo in a positive light, because I think the intent is always going to be clout. I can't see how it isn't unless that photo is taken for an NGO for a part of a fundraising or. Yeah. I I think usage also can be right. A big player in the context of the photo. Is it just going up on an Instagram? Is it going in a fine art display? Is it being used as part of a magazine article or newspaper to that's going to have a story with it that's going to bring awareness. And it's completely different usages and intents behind those usages that I think can also play a pretty big role in, is is it okay to take that picture? Mm -hmm. I agree. And, you know, this calls perfectly back to that listener question of, is there a story to be told here? Probably. But I think we need to go one step deeper than, oh, you know, homeless person on the streets, in a big city in the USA and oh, I have a story to tell here about wealth disparity or Chelsea, if you're trying to portray your honest, you know, perspective of your time in India without going out of your way to go into the slums and take those photographs, those photos have been taken and it is an important story to be told. Wealth disparity is still an enormous societal issue and it is getting worse. So that story does need to be told, but if it's been told, to death and if it's kind of trite subject matter you can't go out make this image and say you have a story to tell you might but what is new about the story what are you adding to the narrative that hasn't already been added or if the story has been told what is going to be done with it you can tell a story all day and people can have an emotional impact or give you a like but with something like this what is actionable about it do you need to put your camera down and do some volunteering or lobbying If you care enough to make the image and if you are invested in the story you're telling and, you know, a thousand photographers can take the same image and they all probably should because they all have a different subjective experience of the situation and they might all have a slightly different story to tell. But why are you telling it? What do you want done with it? If you tell someone a story and they nod their head and walk away, it's kind of fallen on deaf ears. What impact is your story making? If it's not making one or if you have no emotional investment in it and you just think it's a pretty picture on on a surface level, that's all well and good. I'm not going to tell people what their aesthetic taste should be. But I mean, if it's been done to death and you have nothing to add to the narrative, then you're really... Um, I mean, robbing yourself of credit, you're not doing yourself any favors as a storyteller by telling a story that's already been told in someone else's words. Yeah, that, that that's the thing for me. I think the thing is the intent and the usage. Like, 
if you're just walking around and you're practicing and you happen to see a scene that you think is nice or not nice, you know what I mean? Like meaningful to you, impactful to you, and you take it and you bring it home and you edit it and it sits in your personal collection. You're not a bad person for doing that. I don't, you know, if, and I'm not saying that you're a bad person if you do otherwise, I'm not the one to judge you on that, but but the intent and the and the usage is, is is so crucial to me because I do feel like a lot of the time when you see these pictures, you see them on Reddit, you see them on Instagram, and they have some kind of like, I don't know, song lyric under them and hashtags galore. And and it, it, it just seems so disingenuous and it seems so um, I can't think of the correct word that I'm trying to think of, but like sensational is not even... Yeah, right. <laughs> it's it's trite, it's, and it's it's just not the right way to approach vulnerable situations. It's not. That's not what we should be doing as photographers. If we're we're supposed to be, if we're photographers who who are invested in these vulnerable people, persons, and vulnerable situations, and things like that, are. Our end game then should be to to write the injustice or at least to help tell the story to get it right, right, righted as opposed to putting it up for clout or I feel like there's even an issue with with like art galleries with a photo like this, because if you're in an art gallery, unless that money from that sale is is going directly into the hands of a reputable charity or a person in, in need who is the subject of it. I, the commercialization of that is is problematic in my mind as well. Um, I don't think we should be finding ourselves in situations where we are. We should not be gaining from somebody else's misfortune, if that's a reasonable yeah. way to say it. It is. And that calls back to the keyword of context. And I think every argument is going to boil down to that. You know, is this uh, the back of a homeless person? standing in front of an affluent building or is this the back of a homeless person standing in front of the 7,000 square foot private residence of a policymaker who committed to change but is shirking that responsibility these are different stories one is unique to your situation and your place and time but if it's you know like you said chelsea i'm 14 and this is deep you're not really saying anything i can't we have a lot to dance around with the topic of ethics and morality because the three of us you know, we can't really hold court over the word should here. You should do this. You should do that. But think about your intention. Don't cheapen your capabilities as a storyteller by not really saying anything. Have something to say, know it, understand it and back it. If you take the image because it strikes you in the moment and you come home and add it to your library and realize a certain time later, in retrospect, that this does have something to add to a broader narrative that you've become more involved in, by all means, but have that backing, have that intention. Yeah, I think it's not just about, is there a story to tell, but are you telling the story? That is deep. (laughs) (laughs) We're not 14 anymore. (laughs) I act like it sometimes, (laughs) but it's about putting it is about putting it out there and yeah there may be a story to tell with that shot but are you actively working to tell that story and get it out there and i think that can have that big impact and that shift because it's like okay there's a story to tell but what am i 
doing to tell it. And that can be a way to kind of help think about putting everything in context. Mm-hmm. The idea of putting it out there is where it becomes murky because what does it mean to put it out there? You know, what does it mean to, to tell the story? That's the real, like, that's the real thing we're dancing around is like, what does it mean to tell the story? We are photographers. We are storytellers by nature. <laughs> where, where do we draw the line on how we tell the story? Like, yeah, it's, it's, and so it's hard, hard to quantify guys. this stuff because there's so many <laughs> there's so many different angles to it. And so it, it really is hard to put into exact words because there are so many different ways. Sometimes it is. I'm putting it up on Instagram. Sometimes it can be. It's going up in this journalist document, journal or documentary magazine, whatever. It, and so there's so many different angles. And is the platform that I'm using going to tell the story effectively because yeah, and some think, shots yeah. absolutely go up on Instagram and that's perfectly fine, but others, does it really benefit anything? That's a good point. And I think with regards to, I mean, we could do this one to death, but with regards to what story does it tell, start with what story it tells you, you know, what narrative materializes in your head when you see this image or when you pre-visualize it or after you take it, if it doesn't create a concrete thought in your head and speak to you, then you can't really broadcast that outward effectively or with any um, with any sincerity. I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> That's where I'm landing. We all do. That's where I'm landing on this is I have a lot of thoughts and I think some of them would get me in trouble and I think some of them. Maybe Probably. even be radical. If, if it's too so, bad, I can cut it out and post. <laughs> no, That's that would true. be disingenuous and unethical, I think. <laughs> Here, so. Here's something to, I mean, we can we can do this one to death and we could talk about this indefinitely. And I mean, for a good reason, this is going to be talked about indefinitely. Um, we can do a hard pivot again if you want. I think the three of us and the broader listenership can land on, don't be an asshole. Yeah, I think so. Just don't be a like. Come I think that's that's a that's a reasonable starting point. um, Regardless of what story you're telling. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good a good um, hard shift there before before we lose everybody. (laughs) It is. Let's let's go into. I mean, we can talk again and again about photographing. Homeless individuals or the vulnerable. Another category there to be really careful with context and location based is photographing children. How and uh, when do we do this, particularly uh, yeah. in the context of street or documentary photography? Yeah. What I mean, I'm going to say this mockingly. What story do we want to tell? I mean, it's <laughs> let's get let's get past that one and get to the next level. Why are we telling this story? What do children have to do in the greater context of documentary photography? So this one's interesting. Um I'll just say like, I'm a relatively new parent. I have a three-year-old. And prior to him, like I have a lot of street photography, street photos of children um, where they are recognizable. And you you guys are probably sitting here thinking, is this the same person that was just going off on me for even considering taking a picture of a homeless person? (laughs) Yes, I am. Um, So where I'm going with this is that, you know, prior to having him, um, you know, I have quite a few, um, pictures of children and then some of them end up on, you know, posted and some of them don't, depending on why I think they're like, 
you know, I don't keep a bunch of pictures of kids. So that sounded weird. So you can cut that. But, um, no, so I, <laughs> but what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is like, even after having had my son, like I don't really post pictures of him on social media. And, and I realized that it was a little hypocritical of me. Um, cause I, I did make it a very like known thing with my family. Like don't post pictures of him on Facebook and stuff. I don't think it's fair. Um, for him to have his face on Facebook before he can say it. And I did realize that there was some hypocrisy in what I was saying versus what I was doing as a street photographer. So I did kind of do a pivot. Um, and that is to say that, like, I don't not have any pictures that have children in them, but the children are never the subject. Like, the subject is usually the environment. Um, like, there's one picture in my head that I think of when it comes to pictures of children, there's two actually that I have. I I only have like three or four actually altogether, but there's two that I, uh, that I kind of stand by to this point to this day because they're not, the children themselves are not like recognizable. Like their faces are either like mostly in shadow um, or there's one that I, I like where the kids kind of like hanging from a bar in like a Dino park, a dinosaur park. Um, and you can just see, and it's behind like a mall. So you can just see like the head of the dinosaur and like a kid wearing a big hat and a big jacket and a big scarf. So you can't really see the child at all. Um, and those two pictures I kind of stand by, those are pre being a parent. And, um, but now when I do go and I do see a scene that involves children, usually the story there is usually like joyfulness and like you know, the world sucks, but they don't know it, you know? And, um, I think that for me, <laughs> the way to approach that is to the approach, the scene and, and the children are there as, um, accessories to the scene. And I just don't get faces in. So either they're in shadow, they're facing the other way, they're running and there's, you know, uh, slow shutter speed. So they're blurred. That's how I approach children now so that you can still use the joyful, like, <laughs> naivete that they have to tell a story um without putting their faces and their likeness out in the world yeah and that's like i uh was asked to do an easter parade uh this past year uh just to cover that event for that the uh group that was putting it on so they could have stuff for use for their social media and stuff like that and it was a fun way for me to really start branching out and try my hand at some photojournalistic stuff. Cause that's not what I normally do. And it's an Easter parade. There were kids all over the place. Half the crowd was kids. <laughs> and so in contexts like that with some, like pretty much every shot is going to have kids in it. Um, and so it's a matter for me, it was a matter of like finding which ones are usable? Like uh, one of my favorites from there, it's this little girl with her back turned and you see her through a gap in the crowd, but there's no one else immediately beside her. And then you see the parade going on in the street in front. And that's one of my favorites because about all you can tell about this kid is it's a young girl and that she's surrounded by this crowd and it just really brings that into context. And I thought that one worked out perfectly because it shows what's going on and it's within the context showing the event. But then I got another one, which I loved the lighting and the framing of the picture. 
but there's a handful of kids sitting on the curb on the opposite side of the road, but you don't have that context of the event. And so I took the picture thinking of the lighting and the framing, but then when I got home and looked at it, I was like, yeah, I can't use this. There's nothing of the event. It's not telling the right story. And I've got these kids' faces in there without that context, and they're prominent in the frame. And so sometimes, yeah, I'll, like, I'll get the picture, and then when I get home, it's like I'm looking through it later, and it's like, yeah, I can't use that. That's not telling the story. It doesn't matter how good the lighting and the composition are. That's not telling the story. And it's just putting kids' faces online that I have no clue who they are. So I don't think taking pictures of children is necessarily bad, but the context is incredibly important. Mm. Um, at, at events like that, <clears throat> there's no getting around it. It's an Easter event. Half the crowd is a kid's. If you take a picture anywhere in the area, there's going to be children in it. But is the like image of the child to focus or is it about the context is that child like visible clearly recognizable are they going to be the prominent subject or are they just a piece within the composition and you know again context comes up and intent and i think these are important with regards to photographing children i find that kids are often keenly aware of their surroundings uh, some kids are going to shy away from the camera and some are going to jump at their chance to be featured in front of one. And I think, Chelsea, you brought up a good point of showing the kind of naivete and innocence and joyfulness of children uh, in the broader context in public if you're on the street or photographing uh, in an editorial or documentary sense. And you are displaying the essence of what children mean in your context and not zeroing in on the child itself as an individual. Um, children, you know, like we talked about people in compromising situations or distress, uh, or homeless individuals, these are people experiencing a certain degree of vulnerability and children are among the most vulnerable in our society. They require, um, our protection and our guidance and they rely on us for their safety. Uh, so we need to respect that, um, in all senses and all contexts and photographing children is no exception. Um, and David, you mentioned you were photographing an Easter parade uh, in the context of event photography then, uh, which my partner and I do. If there are children at an event and they want to be photographed or if a photo you know, contains an identifiable child, I'm only ever going to um, take that image if the parents or caregivers or whomever is responsible for that child are present. Um, I remember we have a couple images of families with identifiable children uh, that we took at the Seattle Tattoo Expo last year. And, you know, off the top, one might not think that this is a child-friendly event. And, of course, getting tattooed isn't child-friendly, but the event is very open doors, come one, come all. Uh, a lot of tattooers and vendors actually had their children there with them. And for one of the, I think, 12 or 13-hour days, uh, my kids came with as well. And they are so welcomed in an environment like that, which might not be everyone's first impression of a tattoo expo, um, so it was um, kind of incredible and kind of not what you'd expect to find a photo of a like super heavily tattooed set of parents uh, with their kids. So these were some images that we took and it was always with the consent of the parents 
and always with the clear expression that we were going to deliver these images to the event organizers only, that we personally and professionally were not going to broadcast images of children on our own, of our own volition, and there was always the offer extended to share these images with the parents just so that they could understand uh, the context in which we photographed them, and just as an open invite as well to help maintain a dialogue. We are event photographers, we want to be approachable and friendly, and we want to feel like we belong, and we want uh, others in attendance to feel like we belong there as well. Yeah, I mean, we're back at the same the same space as we were with the other vulnerable persons, and it's intent and usage. That's those are the those are the two things that we need to be kind of reflecting on. Um, now, quite like our last go around, we did open a lot of can of worms that we haven't closed. Um, so <laughs> we are kind of getting to the end of the, I think, the attention span for all of us involved here, listeners and speakers alike. So I want to ask you guys listening right now, would you like us to kind of come back and revisit anything or continue this conversation? We have, I think, nine pages in our show notes and have tackled maybe three of them. So we're <laughs> yeah, happy, I think, <laughs> to come on to do a part three. Um, we'd like to know what you guys would think about that um, and any specific questions that you would like to hear our thoughts on. If you want to drag us through the mud for anything we said, hey, so you Abs can do yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. This is Let on, us know. On the internet. So <laughs> <laughs> we can't stop you from doing that. Um, but I do think maybe this is a good place to wrap up because we did talk about the two probably very, if not most, but very vulnerable groups of people in our society. Um, and we could continue that dance for hours. Um, so for the sake of everybody, I think maybe here we can kind of wrap up for for this episode. But um, Aaron, if you're game for coming back, I would love to have you back to continue this conversation. I do think that we've been able to touch upon new thoughts for both of these episodes, and I think we could do that again. So if you're up for it, we'd be happy to have you back. Yeah, I definitely have a part three in the tank, so... Just, uh, say, say when and where and I will be here on the internet in the future and hopefully place. there will not be nearly as much of a gap between these as the last this, this last yeah. one yeah everyone oh, got sick man. and we, we, yeah, we fought life, through everything yeah. to get through we that did. oh here we are we did it and now and now we have momentum absolutely so yeah absolutely. If, if needed maybe we can do a filler episode or two to keep things going while we get everything organized for a third episode yeah, if needed. That's all. Yep. Wonderful. Well, I, I'm going to thank Aaron again for coming. And of course, David, thank you um, as well. Uh, this is a really great topic that we honestly, we're going to, we're going to do it again. So we'll see you guys for part to. three. <laughs> We're going to have to. Um, I want to get final, literal, literally one sentence. I like to end with one sentence from everyone. No more than one sentence. No rambling. I'm talking to myself Curses. here. Um, one sentence. <laughs> final thoughts. Uh, David, what's yours? It is entirely about context. Aaron. And intention. 
in my sentences, you guys stole my sentence. So, well, David stole the uh, he stole the first half of mine, so I just had to put a bow on it. I, I was going to so keep going we're... with it, but you said no rambling. <laughs> no rambling. All right. Well, we're all in agreement then. It's about context and intention and usage. I'm going to throw usage in there. It's a trifecta. All right. Well, thank you guys um, for listening. I'm gonna. I'll have some information more about the class and the 52 weeks in the coming weeks because it's almost 2024 so stay tuned for that um hop into the discord there's a lot of chatter happening right now lots of new faces um make them feel welcome and um we'll see you guys next time